This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Pride of West London Christmas Podding Podcast. The last few weeks we've done, well, we had a Poshcast and we had a Radcast and now we're Christmas Podding. We're back in the George IV in Chip... Rodcast, yeah. Radcast? What? Not a Radcast, a Rodcast. What are you talking about? Oh, it was a Radcast. Not a Radical Cast, it was a Rod because it was Roddy, wasn't it? Different difference of opinion now. He says Rod, I say Rad. Let's call the whole thing off. No, we will not call the whole thing off tonight. We've got a little bit of a Christmas vibe going on in George IV in Chiswick. Bit of a regular haunt the last few weeks because everyone else is full up for Christmas dues. This is a big cavernous pub and they've got plenty of room for, for us. So we're back here and we're going to struggle to be uh, positive because there's not a lot of positive going on. Uh, but we'll try our darndest. We've got a fine, fine gaggle of bees with us tonight. To my left, we have Matt the Allard Allard. How are you, Matt, my old boy? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Full of the old um, bit of Christmas spirit, I suppose. Um, we were, I think we were here, well, we were here last year, I think, on the same day. Um, I remember that we, were, we, we, we acquired some cheese boards from some of the Christmas parties that night, and... Um, cracked onto the red wine and cheese There's, I can't see any cheese yet out so I don't know if we're going to be able to repeat that tonight but you know apart from that all good um, pretty good vibe in here tonight um, so yeah all good we'll find cheese don't you worry Casey B how are you I'm very good thank you very much enjoying the uh, festive vibes at George the Fourth. I've never been here before so once I'd made my way through the rabbit warren that was uh, the bar I managed to find you guys and yeah sitting amongst all the Christmas parties feeling jolly and opposite me is someone that you may may not have met before. He's a, he's a newbie to this uh, the podcast. His, his name's Billy. Billy the Bee. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm not bad. I'm just uh, 
I'm actually chilling out the next few days before I head down to the south coast. I'm going down to, to, to Brighton for Christmas because I just felt like sort of sitting beside the like I do like to be beside the seaside to be quite honest with you. So uh, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to that and getting away from the negative vibes around Brentford FC which we have at the moment now, which is nothing to do with us, but you know, it's obviously not going great at the pitch. So fingers crossed if we get a result on Saturday, I can leave on uh, Sunday and I can feel really good. But to be quite honest with you, Friday, don't forget as well, we're going to be drinking lots of beer. You know, lots of people that get hangovers might be all over the place, but you know, Fuller's Brewery, Friday night, Lloyd Arusu, I spoke to him. If you check out Monday's radio show, we had Lloyd Arusu on as well, who talked about Thomas Frank quite a bit and other things. And Lloyd Arusu is flying over on, I think, Thursday or Friday. He's literally landing and driving straight to Fuller's Brewery for our Christmas bees up with Darren Powell. And it's going to be wicked, like I said to you, open bar, food, drink, the full Monty, Lloyd and Bruce with Darren Powell. We'll be sitting down there, we'll be chopping up video, chopping up audio, chopping up all sorts of stuff. And it's going to be great. Tickets still available, besotted.com. Check it out. It's going to be a wicked night. Then we've got a bit of an after party as well after that. So everyone's going to be dancing. Um, talking about parties and after parties, Sunday night, I was sitting there watching television and all of a sudden a familiar face appeared on the uh, Sports Personality of the Year. You, you were on that programme a little bit more than even Gary Lineker. <laughs> never, never, never heard of him. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it, was one of, it was one of those things. To be quite honest with you, like I said to you, it's uh, the Globe. I think the, the characters, uh, put a, they're, trying to, they're trying to locate me after the old World Cup. Did a bit of a Google search. Found out I was going to be at the Globe. Next minute, a couple of days later, down at the Globe, having a couple of pints. They came down there, filmed us, talked about uh, my time in, in, in Russia. Talked for ages. They, they put, you know, obviously what they needed to. But, uh, but yeah, and uh, I must admit, I had no idea what was going to be on there because they don't tell you. I had to sign all sorts of non-disclosure agreements and all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, proper high, you know, proper secret squirrel KGB, you know, stuff. Maybe to do with Putin. Maybe they were scared that he might have sort of kind of tried to call it off or... You know, I might have influenced. You know, he might have actually. Uh, you know, he might have got his, his bots to kind of influence the who, who won it. You see, so. Uh, but yeah, so that was it. So like I said to you, and a, a, a lot of my mates, even my, I've got my chums that in the FA and stuff like that. They messaged me going, "Oh, oh my God! You know, we didn't know that you were going to be on there." I was like, "I wasn't really allowed to tell anyone to be God with you, the old secret squirrel." It's, oh, it's funny. I just sat there and uh, I was sitting there watching it, and oh, up you pop. And I thought, oh fuck it, yeah, you can't get away from this character, can you? <laughs> but but fair play, you had, your, you had your Brentford shirt on. You know, you didn't you didn't sell out and put a, put for, you know your England shirt on. You were proud to be a B on the on the BBC. Indeed, I'm proud to be a B. And the thing is that you know one of the stories that I did try to sort of say to them is that when they talked about that penalty that we got against um, uh, uh, Colombia, which again was my finest moment of the World Cup. And I was really, 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 when, when we were winning 1-0, very last minute, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, now it's going to go to extra time. And uh, then we got the penalty, and I said that, it, it, it felt to me like the Doncaster game. When we had that Don, when we had that beautiful opportunity, we thought, finally, finally, Brentford are going to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we're going to fluff it again. I actually did think that we were, weren't going to win that. So when that penalty went in, it was the ultimate moment. So that's what I felt. I've got to be there, Brentford shirt, in the Brentford pub, bring the BBC down there in our manner because this is what it's all about. England, great, but also it's all about the bees. So there you go. That's as positive as we get. We're looking back to the summer at England. Um, no, t- tonight we, we, we actually got a pretty full podcast. Um, we got to start 
um, talking about Hull and the latest defeat um, under the Thomas Frank reign. Um, so let's head ourselves back to the north east. Yeah, northeast. It's not quite northeast, is it? Northeast. Northeast-ish. Yeah. The start of the northeast. And after this twang, we'll be talking about Hull City. So listen, Christmas cheer here at the George the 4th, as you can hear. It's Wednesday night. It's the live music night. You've got my man on the guitar singing. He's thinking of a white Christmas, which at the moment I don't know if it's going to be a white Christmas, but you never know next week. It was a bit chilly earlier, but now the weather's it's just mellowed out, you know, mellowed out for us, like, you know. But we're sitting here, and actually, we, listen, tell you something. We're sitting around here, right? We've been sitting around for an hour drinking beers and saying how absolutely really difficult it is at this time of the year when it's meant to be properly lovely and jolly and Christmassy. And we're sitting there in a pub here talking about Brentford <laughs> losing about 95 games in a row almost, like, you know. And it is, it is really hard to try and, you know, maybe be a little bit positive about it trying to analyse what's going on it's interesting you get people you know it's great and listen thanks very much for listening to the podcast we're nearly on a million views now you know we get people that like what we you know that we do got people that don't necessarily like what we do but they still listen which is which is all good but listen it's it's a free for all and you know we appreciate you all listening in we tell anybody who wants to come on you can do we've invited the the hand out to anybody who'd love to come on the podcast just email us go onto our twitter handle you see our email address you can come on you know what I'm saying because we love everybody's point of views. It's not all about a polarized point of view, anybody's point of view on. But it is really, really quite difficult at this time to try and keep your pecker up, isn't it, the ally? Yeah, I was going to say. Bill, Bill just said we've been talking for an hour or so about what we're going to talk about next. It's actually been a bit like watching Brentford building up from the back in recent times. We've been passing the ball, you know, the goalkeeper back to the right back, back to the centre back. You know, and, and we've been just been passing it around at the back, really. We haven't really got anywhere. That's assuming it doesn't end up in the back of our own net in between that. Well, the, so far the goalkeeper hasn't punted it out, trying to try to hit Dalsgaard on the head. Um, he didn't pass the opposition, though, have we? Uh, I don't think... He, uh, yeah, he probably has, but um, we, we, we've got the ball back and we've just passed it around again a bit. And um, that's what we've been doing for the last hour, really. I think one of us went to the bar, which was, you know, that was probably the equivalent of maybe sort of, you know, an attack up the right hand side. And but we didn't, you know, we didn't get much out of it. It's been, um, yeah, that's. that's but meanwhile, here, you know, it's Christmas prime Christmas party time. There's all sorts of hats, all sorts of stuff going on. And uh, listen, we're gonna, but we, listen, we got to come back to Saturday because even though we were thinking, tell you something, let's try and put this behind the back of us. We realise that Saturday coming, which is the Bolton game, I think it's the season is going to be halfway through. So we are halfway through this season, which means that, um, you know, it's down there after there, you know. But we were just thinking, whole City game, I secretly thought, even though I said last week it was going to be a draw, I secretly thought we might nick something up at Hull, mainly just for a few things, just because of uh, how, how people's attitudes were... You know, I went to the Rob Rowan um, Memorial. Uh, we talked about that on the radio show as well, which was absolutely, it was lovely, lovely memorial. Like you said to you, and it's a real tribute to Rob. And I thought after that, maybe we might get a rally back. We might get a bounce back at, up at Hull. But it just never happened. And we were just talking here to ourselves before. Tell you something, Hull, do you think this might have been a tipping point? Because there's a number of things that happened. For the first time, there were Frank out chants. After 80 minutes, there were Frank out chants. And also when he came over to the fans as well. There were frank out chants as well, which, um, you know, that 
okay, there were Dean Smith out chance at, 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 but, but I don't know if they were on the terraces, but there were definitely people uh, vying for Dean Smith out, particularly in his first season. Not so much so the second season when we went on a bad runs, but we're just wondering whether or not this is a tipping point and, and what needs to happen here, because I know that the club is obviously really sticking to their guns. They're believing this is the right way forward. They're expecting to get a result on Saturday at Bolton. And to, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to, put, I'm going to tip me out and say, look, as you know, I have a lot of respect for, for football clubs who b- believe in something and they stick to it. A lot of people say, but it's, oh, it's obvious and it's all going to be wrong. But I, I do believe that football is too much of a, uh, a, a, not cutthroat, but it's a knee-jerk, um, a, a knee-jerk business. Um, and it doesn't operate in the real world, you know. That's why you get so many clubs skin. They they run out of money. They spend they spend more money than they actually have, you know, because they're keeping their fingers crossed that they'll get the prize draw at the end of the day and they'll pay it all back. And it's a bit of a really weird way of running your business. And also, you know, if you believe in somebody, you stick with them. You put the right tools around to make it happen. Now, I, I, I 100% admit with Thomas Frank. It's not going right, whether or not it's him, whether it's the team, whether or not it's, he can't motivate. I've got no idea what it is. But also, I have to say, I've got to tip yet to the club to say, fair enough, you're sticking with it. How long are you going to stick with it? If he loses another five games, will you think exactly the same? Or eight games or ten games? I'm sure you won't. You know, but the tipping point we felt was at Hull, because all of a sudden now, we need to get a result on Saturday, 100%. A draw is not even good enough. We need to get a win against Bolton and even if we get a win people are going to say it's still masking over the cracks we there's a lot of work that needs to be done because we are not in the best position at moment Laney you know know my thoughts on Thomas Frank Um, I I don't I don't want to be a parrot and say exactly the same thing week in week out Um, we got we got a bit of of shit on Twitter and uh, social media at the weekend Uh, apparently certain people or certain fans groups weren't weren't um, being uh, open with their minds and, and speaking about the situation and it's like we can't make people listen to this podcast but the one thing the one thing that you have to do is if you are going to comment on things you have to absorb all the information from everywhere and I think I think over the last four five six weeks we've had a real mix uh, mixture of opinion on the podcast I've been quite clear and it's uh, only based on a hunch you know my my waters say that it isn't going to end well for Thomas Frank um, and what I'm seeing on the football pitch and what I'm seeing in results it, it, it backs it up and and I and I uh, equally I do say that you know I'm not set in my mind I'm, I'm quite happy to be proved wrong but there's no no point in having a mind if you can't change it and I want the players to, to, to up their up their levels, and I want the results to get better. And I, and I, and I want I want positives for Brentford, but I just can't see it happening with Thomas. So Saturday is a massive, massive game. Again, equally, I can understand the rationale behind giving him until after Christmas, until the last fixture of the new year, uh, last fixture of this year. 2018, uh, we, uh, where we've probably given him three months in, we've actually done our due diligence on him and, and we've given him a chance. And if then things aren't working out, I think then they probably need to reevaluate. But it can't go on forever. You know, you, you can't keep believing in the right thing and then just saying, oh, it's going to work out eventually. Sometimes things are just doomed to failure. And, I, and at the moment, 
and there's something significant changes. Even one win against Bolton, it, we're, we're still papering over the cracks. We had that one win against Millwall, and then we reverted, we reverted back to form. So significant changes need to be made. Just and just coming back to your point there, because again, you know, and I mentioned it before, you know, maybe some people sort of kind of misconstrue, you know, where we are, who we are. At the end of the day, you know, we're besotted. We're a group of a group and an extended group of people who have got opinions. We've got our own opinions. Yeah, we know people in the club. We know people outside the club. I know lots of agents and fans and fan, different fan groups. We know the historians. We know all sorts of different people that we speak to. Oh, you know, we talk to people all the time, different people. I have my opinion. Laney's got his opinion. The ally, everyone in here has got their own opinion. They put it out. But the one thing that we also do is that we offer people the opportunity to put their point of view forward. So if we do in our podcast, we... We don't filter it. We say, say what you think. You know, when we did our videos as well, we haven't done as many as we did beforehand. Say what you think. It's an opportunity and it's a channel for people to say what we think. We have invited people to come on who have particular views and they haven't taken it up, to be honest with you. But now, listen, that's not, we're not going to force them. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they want to do their own channels. But what we're just trying to say is that the platform that we do like is that we find it quite hard. When you try and have a conversation on 140 or 280 characters, it's all right, but it's not the best forum to have a conversation. If you're having a conversation over a table with a pint with somebody like that, you can have a proper conversation which goes to and fro and it actually goes somewhere. And this is the forum that we prefer to have conversations with. We could do it in other ways, but we're kind of, we, we, we do our information thing. But like I said to you, the main thing that we do is that we allow people, if they want to come on and give their point of view, they can do. We'll also sit opposite the table and we'll have a conversation with somebody and we'll, have a, we'll buy them a pint and we'll have a conversation with somebody and we'll thrash out whatever it may be between ourselves. And that person may have three or four or five very valid points and we may have three or four or five very valid points. And that's kind of what it's all about. But it's the, the danger with social media is what happens is a load of people shout, then they disappear for a little bit. And especially if they shout and, they have, and then maybe whatever they're shouting at isn't right or it, it changes, you know what I'm saying? And they disappear for two or three years and then they come again, around again when that whole thing and then it's but it's, listen to me it's not as healthy that, you know, and I'm probably getting quite passionate about it we like to have conversations we'll invite anybody in on that conversation the platform is here platform is there for people to use you know Kate we didn't know Kate what six 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 months ago we just met you in the pub and we came up and he said you fancy coming on the podcast you went yeah fair enough we've asked number of people to come on here you come here we buy your beer you have a laugh we stay out till 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night Woo. Yeah, I know. Yeah. and it's, it's brilliant you know what I'm saying and there's that's just that's what we do other people do things differently which is kind of cool other people write things other people you know do other stuff videos but this is kind of our little home but we do find it a bit peculiar when people say that you do certain things you know you're not slagging the club off Oh, yeah, you, you haven't said anything about Thomas Frank. Um, have, have you not listened to the... Have you, you know, you've got to listen to what we do without actually saying these things. Anyway, I'm not going to go on anymore because, like I said to you, it's Christmas time and we're trying to have a good time and we're talking about the tipping point here. And the point that I think that I've been making about this tipping point is where do we go? Because it's going to go downhill after the Bolton game. So we've got the Frank out chance. We've, uh, we had a few players that have changed. You know, Makocho came back in. Obviously, um, um, Marcondes got injured at West Brom, so things aren't still 100%. But this tipping point at the moment now, Kate, where do you, where do you see it going? 
I think it's really hard to predict because I think there's a lot of different things going on. I think there's some stuff about whether or not our defending is any good, what we need to do to improve that. I think there's a lot of stuff about whether our midfield is creative enough or whether they're too scared to keep pushing forward and trying things out. And then who knows what's going on with Malpe because he hasn't had enough service for us to make any kind of comment about his form. Um, and then there's Thomas Frank. Is he making weird decisions about lineups? Yes. Is he making weird decisions about substitutions? Yes. Um, okay, stop. Because we're talking about tipping points. So, what weird decisions about lineups is he making? Why is Dalsgaard starting and staying on? Okay, so Dalsgaard, is that your main point? I think Dalsgaard, I think what he's doing with Judge needs to be sorted out and maybe what he's doing with Yanaris needs to be sorted out what's he doing with Josh De Silva who always looks really exciting when he comes on but doesn't really seem to be having any weight thrown behind him and I think for me the reason that Hull was a tipping point is because none of these questions which seem like really obvious questions are being answered and Hull was like another moment where we looked scared and we looked like we had no confidence and we looked like Thomas Frank didn't have the like chutzpah to make a big change yeah I think I mean Hull in a very small terms Hull might have been the tipping point because the first time he lost a game by more than one goal um, you know is, is that significant probably not to be brutally honest but but it does seem to me that I felt from Hull that we just you know what, what, what I'm seeing is the same mistakes again and again and again and that and that starts to concern me um I'm, I'm not, you know, my feelings on Thomas Frank are that, that I may have an opinion um, and I'm not really sure I do because, because I do find that he's very much part of the structure of the club and it's quite difficult to make a judgment on how much Thomas Frank influences what goes on. Um, and that's not to say, because I, because I don't know, but there's something not right and, and what I think there's a point I'm trying to make is that he hasn't been sacked yet because I don't think he will get sacked on on results. I think, you know, he there will be measures put in place. I've said this before, I did this weeks ago. Um, and it will be more about, you know, how the team are performing to some extent statistically, which I know people are going, oh, not stats, not stats. But, you know, but I, and I think that's what... And maybe, you know, maybe that is the right thing or that's not the right thing, but that's not actually about Thomas Frank that's about how the club or the you know the high management within the within the club will be judging his performance I don't think it's as simple as you know as the results they'll be looking at other factors I think that's really difficult for us to understand as fans um, and, um, and and is it the right way I mean it's a it's a risky strategy when you're losing a lot of games but I but that's kind of where I see it Maybe we'll come on to this and talk about it a bit more later, but the club must be aware that the transfer window is coming and that things will happen and that ins and outs might change the atmosphere and feeling within the team and that in turn might change performances on the pitch and kind of coherence. So, you know, I think we've got to just... We, we know that the club have got a bunch of metrics that we don't know about, that we don't see. We know the club don't think it's just about results. We know they think it's about the football that we're playing. And, 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 I mean, it's a difficult one for me because, I, first of all, I did my thing where I, I, I say I respect the club for sticking to their position because I do really believe that there needs to be more of that within football. You know, and I talked about the radio show about the fact that, you know, people seem to forget the fact that Dean Smith did go for a really terrible run 
and he could have got sacked if he was at Derby or if he was at Leeds United or if he was anywhere else. He would have been, not could have, he would have been sacked 100%. And we, and we were terrible, you know, but they stuck with him because, you know, we were told actually what he's doing is really good. And also under, behind the scenes, he's really been a calming influence for the team and it did turn itself around, like I said to you, on a lucky game. Um, every time we talk about Thomas Frank, you know, one of the things that I normally would say as well, I'd say, you know, I've never met, I've only met Thomas Frank once, which is at a B team game um, when I was with Laney that time when Rob Rowan introduced us to him. And I said to me, he seemed really quite uh, intense, but a real, real football person. I would say now that I actually have met him and uh, I met him last week. Um, I chatted to him for 45 minutes. It was at Rob Rowan's uh, memorial afterwards. Um, I, was, I was really surprised because I didn't expect him to open up as much um, he's a really really nice bloke you know that doesn't really matter when footballing turns because oh he's a nice bloke but we're losing games but the fact is that he was actually really nice bloke really open and really actually quite honest I threw a load of ideas out to him asked him a load of questions he did answer the questions that he could come back to us on obviously he's not going to give us information uh, or, or, or completely lambast players because obviously he, you know he's got to work with these players but he's, you know, he was telling us things like, you know, things that we've all heard before. The fact that, you know, the injury situation, you know, how he hasn't had, you know, he doesn't feel that he's had a, first, a full team to work with at time. All, all the players or a lot of the players have, have had particular injuries at particular times. Some of them more serious than others, but others with niggles. Even people like Sawyers and stuff like that have been, have been playing through with niggles. The thing is that, I mean... It's difficult because I'm not. I don't want to sit down there and I'm not making excuses for him. I would much rather, and you know, maybe we could try and orchestrate something like this in the new year. If Thomas Frank came on and he was able to, whether him or somebody from the club, were able to explain some quite hardcore questions that we want to ask, you know, because it's all right for me sitting down there and talking to him, and then we go and lose the next game. But that, you know, that that doesn't really do anything for anybody. But it it, it was quite interesting where. My gut reaction is, even though he hasn't said this to me, is that maybe we are we are not as balanced a side as we might have thought we are, which we've talked about this quite a lot on the podcast. You know, so say for example, if you talk about playing Alan Judge, who's a great player and he does particular things, but if we, you know, say for example, play him on the wing, which may not be the right thing to do, maybe he's been played on the wing because they don't think of any other options to play him which is not doing Judgy any favours not doing Brentford any favours and the fans are, are, are sort of waving their fists going what's going on you know Dalsgaard I don't know what the situation is there with Dalsgaard I can only imagine as probably as the Allard said he's one of the few tall players that we have so he plays him he sticks with him and also he's a he's a World Cup quarterback and they think that maybe technically he's a good player but there's one thought that I maybe had in my head and again this is nothing that, uh, that Thomas Frank said but maybe from the conversation I think that maybe he's quite very, very technical coach. He's a technical coach, which means that he believes that in a, in a particular way of playing, which is probably very clever. According to a few football statty people out there, they think what he's trying to do is very clever. So what he'll do is that he'll pick the team available to him, which may not be the best team, you know, if he had other players that he could bring in from elsewhere, but the team best available to do that technical stuff. However, maybe what he needs to do is he needs to maybe not be so purist about his thoughts about it and maybe players who are not as technically able as they are, they may be actually be able to throw them into the pot to actually give a little bit more heart. So say for example, I mean, I'm just taking one out of the pot here, Josh Clark, which he's obviously, he's not part of the picture at the moment now, 
but we've seen when he goes in there and he's bombing up and down. He may not be as technical as, I don't know, Dalsgaard or might be technical as Judgy, you know what I'm saying? You know, then, or, or then Judgy. But all of a sudden, he's like, maybe him inside the pot instead of somebody like that, even though he might not be, not play, might actually do Brentford better at this moment in time. And maybe he needs to kind of just tone down a little bit on the sort of kind of, I need a 11 technical players out here who can do this and that the other. Because obviously, we need to get a balance, Laney. Yeah, you need, you need, well, first and foremost, he needs to win a couple of football games. And, and, and if he's being over clever, he ought to do himself a favour and actually be clever himself and not be so clever. And then, and to be honest with you, it's just like it's, he needs to get the players to believe in him. And, and, and that's what I don't believe he has. You know, you, you can read, well, I've read a couple of articles recently where, you know, they're, they're quite statistical, they're, they're, they're using data to kind of work out where we're lacking. I think it's quite. It's more simple than that. We're lacking because the players aren't performing for Thomas Frank. They don't believe in him at the moment. And whether that's the fact that he's um, he's been uh, promoted from his his previous role, and they they don't see him as an authoritarian role in the, in the in the setup. Um, but you know what? One thing that Lloyd Awusu said in uh, on, on the on the radio show on Monday, and, and you know in the article that he wrote, is the fact that they need to respect him. And if they haven't got any respect for him, then there's a that's that's the biggest problem. The players' relationship with the head coach is the the, the most important role within this football club at the moment because the head coach role is the pivotal role under the way we play, the way we're set up. And if that trust's not there, the respect's not there, if the information or the communication that's not being filtered down, if it's not right, it's going to fail. And that is that has to be that has to be sorted out, and for that reason, I don't. I think there's too much to kind of rein back from where we are. I think someone needs to come in from outside to sort this out. And I, and I, and I say what I said last time: he's the right man at the wrong time. And at another time, he might. This may work out for him, but not at the moment. It's all very well being clever. Being clever is lovely. Well done. But the point has got to be that you can then communicate what you're thinking to a group of people. And it seems very much like Thomas Frank maybe can't do that. So hopefully that's what Kevin O'Connor can do. That's what he can bring to the table. He can act as that conduit between, you know, Frank and these kind of, like, fancy ideas and the players and get them to sort of action them. But if that can't happen, then we do have to think elsewhere. Um, again, and, and, and obviously, very interesting point. And like I said to you, you know, and we're talking about tipping points again. Kevin Connor's only had one game. We've gone up to Hull. Obviously, we haven't won that game, so everyone's probably thinking, "Oh no, it's, it's not the right appointment." There's also quite a few people that were actually quite disappointed when Kevin Connor actually got the gig, um, saying that they felt that we uh, were playing safe. So we went double safe by going Thomas Frank safe from in- internal and Kevin Connor safe from internal as well. Um, as we said before, Kevin Connor was meant to get the gig three years ago with um, with Dykeals, and it didn't quite happen. So he's actually kind of learned his trade. Also, I've seen because we've been to quite a lot of B, B team games, and I've seen Kev O'Connor in the driving seat with the B team, and he's he's quite hardcore to be quite honest with you. He's properly serious. He's like he's not like matey matey boy. He is properly. He's got this stern face when they lose. He's not happy the way he talks to the... I mean, I've seen him and I'm... You know, we've kind of known him for years. Oh, hello, Kev. 
but you can see even with us he's like he can't drop the guard to sort of show that he's kind of matey so he's got that stern look and that stern chat with us as well and I just I actually think that people may be underrating what Kev might bring to the table because I've you know and I think the B team players they know him and they're probably thinking okay interesting and what will be interesting is what Kev knows about these B team players because so far we've had a bit of a kind of weird dipping in and out of the B team we've had players that have come in and out um, a lot of them haven't really got a, you know they've, they've been in the training and on the coach but only really Mepham has had a really proper run and uh, it'll be interesting to see what because Kev has got a real inside knowledge of that B team now and we're not saying they're going to be the be all and the end all but you know you never know there might be someone who might be able to come in there who has got the hunger and that enthusiasm who might be able to step in and actually just shake things up a little bit because at the moment now we do need a shake up yeah um, I think um, with, with, with Kev O'Connor I'm I, you know I'm, I'm very hopeful he did some good things for the B team and I'm very hopeful he's, he's going to prove to be the fit that we missed my only concern is it took a long time for them to recruit him considering he was already at the club yeah, this, if he was the man for the job, um, how come he wasn't given the job within a week or two? I, that, 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 there's a few questions for me about that, if I'm honest. Um, but hopefully he does bring some more steel to the, to the proceedings because I think Dave's point is, really, is, is, is very good in, and that makes a lot of sense in the terms of, you know, Thomas Frank, he's not doing much different, if anything different, to what Dean Smith was doing when we were winning games so is it really about the players you know and is it about is it just solely the performances because tactically I'm not seeing much that's different I'm seeing a few injured players here and there I'm seeing have to make a few decisions here and there and you're probably it's fair to say we're seeing players that have lost all confidence because you know I know I mean I've always felt that Dowsgaard has never been the strongest technical player at the uh, in the team he's always been something of a weak link but he has other strengths and I I believe he plays and I believe he was recruited for other strengths and it will sound stupid about me saying that he's over six foot tall but we are a football team lacking in players over six foot tall and um, and I stand by the point I, I, I think that was part of the reason he was recruited was was because he fitted that he fitted something that we didn't have at the time um, I mean maybe the silver gives us a bit more balance there if, if, if he can come into the team because actually when you think about it you know, if if, if Dowsgaard goes out, and let's assume he will on Saturday, because there's really, I mean, there's nothing to say he should play Saturday. Um, we are down to what two defenders? Uh, sorry, two players in the team over six foot tall. Um, maybe that maybe there's one or two others that I that, that, that don't appear as t- you know are taller than they appear. But you know, we're going to be up against it defending um, defending corners and free kicks and whatnot more than we than, than we are currently, and we struggle. So um, you know, I. I, I think that was, you know, so, but to go back to my point is I don't think he's done a lot, Thomas, a lot different, Thomas Frank. Um, so, you know, maybe it really does come down to this. And maybe this is something that O'Connor can fix. Um, I suppose, again, we give him a game or two to find out. But, you know, like we said before, um, you know, we're, we're at a point now where one win isn't enough, is it? It needs to be a, it needs to be a run. It needs to be a bloody good run before people stop questioning. Well, it does. I mean, obviously, we've lost lots of matches. So we're going to have to, you know, have to win quite a few matches to sort of kind of balance it out. And also, you're going to you're going to have to play a few matches and, and win a few to get the confidence back in the team. Because the thing about it, with me and like I said to you, I'm sitting down there and I'm not sleepwalking till relegation or anything like that. But I really do hope Thomas Frank 
does pull it out of the bag because also I get really nervous of this constant change where teams keep on changing. They change and then six weeks later they change again. They keep on changing. You know, Leeds United kept on doing it and it's done. They're still in the same place and they spend five times as much money as us. Sometimes you need a bit of stability, right? And I really hope that he is able to pull it through um, as opposed to this, oh no, I hope he fails because I don't think he's the right person because I think that he needs to, we need to as a, as a club get a bit of stability we have to bring it through then also all of a sudden just like Dean Smith had the time to find the players that he put his arm around and they became his players you know what I'm saying he basically if you remember rightly Dean Smith got rid of you know the Tarkovsky and the and the sort of Mark Warburton kind of um I don't say cast off but players that are part of that old school thing where there was a division in the dressing room and then he became and he brought his own new players into play you know you could see that okay Thomas Frank's doing this to a certain extent with Bentley because he's sticking with him Dalsgaard he's sticking with him even Alan Judge he's sticking with him but for the, the gut feeling that I got from the conversations even though he wasn't saying 100% but he was sort of kind of ending is that there's a few more players that are needed out there to sort of fulfil what he wants to do Laney no one at Brentford with any intelligence wants anyone to fail and the, 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 the saving grace in all of this is if he does leave if he doesn't succeed then we haven't got to buy a whole new squad of players you know this is the reason that we have a head coach because if it doesn't work out with the head coach the the, 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 the back room the, the, the whole infrastructure the recruitment is going to get the same players in and the head coach has to work with those players. It's how, it's how he motivates them, it's how he picks them, it's how he selects them, it's how he, it's how he motivates them. And um, it's a, I agree with you, but, the, but there is another point to that, is that you then have to find somebody that can come in and work within the system. Um, you know, Dykehausen couldn't, Dean Smith could. Um, Thomas Frank should be able to because he's been in the system for two years, but we're now starting to debate it. I don't actually, you know, I, I, I think it's a, I think we're, you know, when it comes to recruitment, if we do move to that, then, you know, we have to find someone that can come in and fit in. So when I read all this stuff on Twitter, people, you know, putting these random names out there who should be the next head coach or manager of Brentford, honestly, 80% of them, no chance, because they're not going to come in into this system. Also, one thing that Laney said there, you know, he said that the thing about it is that you've got the players there, which is the good thing. You know, so if, the, if Thomas Frank were to leave, somebody else will slip in. We don't always remember in three weeks' time the, the January transfer windows come in. And, you know, if we're playing as we're doing now, we actually might find that quite a few of the players that we've got now might put their end up and say, actually, we want to be out. We want to be out of here. You know, um, we've got better opportunities. You know, other clubs, Dean Smith, they turn around and say, tell you what, they're not doing particularly well at the moment now. They're a bit vulnerable. Let's 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 go and hit these players now. That you know that we might have done in the summer, but actually we might be able to get them now, which might actually strengthen my side. We've got money. You know, no, no, I'm just saying. And you might say it's going to happen anyway. But the fact is that it may have happened. I mean, Malpay said only two weeks ago, "I'm really happy at Brentford. Let's see how it goes in the summer. But I want to make sure that we can." keep ourselves you know in this division and do really well you know he's you know he's doing all the right things and saying the right things but if somebody comes in for him and gives us offers 15 million and offers him loads of money in january you know you can't have it both ways you can't have it both ways you can't say we're going to have complete and utter trust in your head coach and we're going to give him the rest of the season and not equally not expect that to happen you know, you've got to weigh it up. You've got, you've got, you've got to then weigh up whether it's worth getting rid of someone that's not 
a successful head coach in the first 12 games because it might it might mean that you get your players staying or you might get more money for your players you know it's part of that it's part of the equation they need to weigh up and you know I'm just thankful that I'm not responsible for it because it's one hell of a job so you're not you're saying basically don't stand by me is that what you're saying stand by me just stand by me oh the old yes no (laughs) okay I think, I think the thing we have to always keep thinking about is that there's been a lot of chat about a lot of our players and a lot of them must at some point get their heads turned and then I'm sure a lot of them think, you know, we're not playing so well so maybe now's the right moment. Some people are, some people are sorry, I do interrupt you, but some people are saying that their heads are turned already and that's maybe the reason why some of them are performing. Yeah, yeah, well, well and that's, uh, I, I genuinely wonder if that's a thing that we need to think about, like... You know, so Ollie Watkins, everyone's chatting about him leaving. Neil Mope, everyone chats about him leaving. Christmas Mepham, everyone chats about him leaving. And like, genuinely, I can see that that might affect how they're playing for this club in this moment if they're sort of thinking long term, if they're thinking I'm off. And what kind of split does that create? You know, are they the next kind of Tarkovskis? I think. I think what is interesting about the transfer window is that. We often hear about how you know if we're um, if we're we're in a top six or we're punching towards the top six, we'll go out in the transfer window, we'll spend some money, and if we're not, then we'll consolidate and stay where we are. I've never actually heard what we're going to do if we're in the bottom six. And, and what do you think we're going to do in the bottom six? Well, make sure. So, do you? We don't have to sell. We don't have to sell players at yeah, this stage. I mean, so, so does that actually? You know, is being promoted to the Premier League? You know, is then is therefore being relegated to League One? Is it this? You know, do, do you do you have to do the same thing? And you say we can't afford to sell players because we can't afford to lose our position in the Championship. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a straight up question. Okay, say for example, in January, um, Aston Villa came and offered us 18 million pounds for Neil Malpay. Okay, right? I'm just saying, and we sold him. What would happen to Brentford? Well, who, who depends what we um, what we can get in. If it happens at five to eleven or five to midnight, or whenever that thing closes, and we don't have another striker at the club, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, I mean, that's that's obvious. But yeah, the, but, 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 yeah, but also the other question is that you know you're saying the chances are we we always seem to struggle in this window to pick up players because they're overvalued and this, that, the other. So what I'm trying to say is that it seems that if you get, if you lose a player in this window, you're not going to pick up a an equivalent player because basically Malpay scores us goals. So if we lose him, we're going to need to get a goal scorer. So what is the likelihood of us getting a goal scorer for decent money in this window? And that is exactly my point, is that we talk about trying to strengthen if we're in the top six. What do we do when we're in the bottom six? You know, how, how important is your position in the championship? And do you invest in it? Or do you take a chance and, um, and, um, and balance the books? I mean, to me, to me, I'll be straight up. I think that if Malpay goes, we're in a lot of trouble. 100%. If he, go, if, if he goes, doesn't not if he goes to get someone else in, because I'm, I also worry about the bedding in period that we always have with players. We have a three-month, six-month, one-year bedding in period as well. You know, you get somebody that hits the floor running. Strikers are the hardest people to get hold of. You know, we haven't got a second striker now because they're hard to get hold of. 
Again, that's really obvious. You know, you say if Mopé goes, we're in trouble. Yeah, clearly we are. You know, he gets suspended, we're in trouble. If he gets injured, we're in trouble. You know, we, we said it all, all year, and we said it all last year as well. We're, 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 we're really glaringly light of striking options. You know, force, he got injured, you know, and, and he, probably wasn't, uh, he probably wasn't up to speed anyway. But, you know, this is why we said, you know, about Ogbeni going off. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about this a fair bit. But it's not as if we haven't got options. It's just the options we have got, they don't seem to want to take. You know, Joe Hardy scoring goals for fun for the B team. For whatever reason, no interest in him, in promoting him. So, you know, there are there are options, but they don't want to take them. Okay, just, just coming back to this again, and it's interesting because we thought we were going to be talking about three minutes about the tipping point in Hull, and then we thought we'd go and talk about something Christmassy, but we're at 25 minutes in because all of a sudden you, 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 your brain's been stoked. And uh, let's just bring this back. To, I'm, I'm going to bring this back to Thomas Frank. Listen, he's there. Let's say he's going to be there for the next month, month and a half, two months. So we need to try and make this work. Kev O'Connor's also come in. The one thing, like I said to you, and I, this is, my again, my gut reaction. I know a lot of people out there don't believe in gut reaction. I said, Thomas, I think he's a, a good bloke, a really nice bloke. I think he's also really technically very, very, probably very, very clever. Probably too... Like, Probably I don't even understand half the things that he's doing, and maybe the, the, the players don't understand half the things that he's doing. But maybe what's happened is that also sometimes he plays, as we said, a little bit safe, and a little bit this is the way it's got to be done, technically. With the B team, what we have noticed is that we haven't taken chances with certain players. Maybe because they don't feel they're ready enough. Maybe this might be the situation, again, coming back to Kev O'Connor, where Kev O'Connor will be able to put an input in, which may bring in... because. Joe, Hard, you know, Joe Hardy is obviously not in the he's not in the frame but he's not in the frame but all of a sudden maybe with Kev O'Connor being inside there maybe Hardy he will actually give a proper point of view whether or not Hardy all these other people can fit into the situation but, but at the moment it's Hardy or Mope I mean okay so he could be on the bench I guess um, on the bench I'm talking about yeah I mean the thing is though is that and this unfortunately is where we are it's always easier and we've said this before on the podcast over the last few years when we've had the luxury to the end of the season to bring you, um, sorry, B-team players into a winning team. It's a lot harder to bring them into a losing team and expect them to perform. Um, it, is, it is, Matt, but what I was going to say, and I'm sorry for interrupting you, but the, the thing is, it is hard, but what, what the fuck have you got to lose? At the moment, it's just kind of like, you know, whatever they're trying now, at the moment now, is not working. So what do you do? Is that somebody who's hungry thinking great this is my opportunity sometimes you throw them in and you never know what you get yeah and um, we tried that with force and he didn't come off um, he, he played one game he didn't play well against Blackburn played him another game then he got injured he didn't have, he didn't have a run did he no but I'm just I'm just saying that, that that's what they're um, that's what they're weighing up essentially is that is that do you want to destroy his confidence by putting him into a team putting him you know the, the, you know the supporters understandably have got the ump at the moment um, if Joe Hardy comes on, he's going to play for 15 minutes and he's likely he's going to be, you know, if, if we're losing when he comes on, he's going to see a lot of, you know, he's going to get a lot of shit probably. Um, not, 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 not him directly, but the team. And I just think that's, this is what they're weighing up. This is what, what they're weighing up. What can you lose? I mean, what, what, what is wrong with putting him on the bench? On the bench? So you've got seven, seven subs on the bench? You know, there's it's, it's obviously five of them aren't going to be used. So why not just put him on there? 
just just like give him give him the match day experience give him the give him the like the adrenaline shot give give him some confidence actually give give him quarter of an hour what what's what's to lose I'm, i am my argument is i am being devil's advocate i'm i'm trying to actually explain why i don't think it's happening rather than why I wouldn't do it. I am, you know, trying to explain okay. why I don't think it'll happen. And what should happen? Um, I, I, could you put Joe Hardy on the bench? I don't see why not, but I've never seen him play for the B team, so I haven't got a clue. You know, so I, I genuinely don't know. You can watch YouTube clips all you want and see somebody who scores the odd goal here and there. I'm sorry, and for, for people that may not know, it's Joe Hardy is a B team player who came from, I think it was Manchester City um, Academy. We came in quite highly rated. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like very recently, he scored a lot of goals for the B team. I don't know exactly what it is, but every game he seems to score one or two or three goals. I think he scored probably about 15 odd goals for the B team fairly recently. Um, but he still seems to be not quite the right standard for the first team. Which is, which, which, listen, we don't see him train and play every day, so we don't know. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the point I'm making. Um, but. You know, I, yeah, okay, so why isn't he on the bench? I can't answer it. Would I have him on the bench? Look, I, I've never been a believer in only having one centre forward, so currently I probably would have him on the bench. All I'm doing is sort of, you know, I've been a bit of a devil's advocate and trying to, you know, reason as to why this isn't happening because it's not it's not, not happening for sheer bloody-mindedness. There is some thinking behind it, I assume. Otherwise you, might, otherwise you might as well say, well, look, nobody at the club knows what they're doing and, you know, you can... Do you know what I mean? You might as well give up. But also, we're, we're, not, we're not being crap at the moment because of our striker. We're not giving our striker service. We're not building up properly. We're not playing like we did like eight months ago. So even if we've got Joe Hardy on the bench, even if we bring Joe Hardy on, even if Joe Hardy is the next amazing striker, what is he going to do in this team in this moment? So you're saying midfield's the problem? Well, I'm saying build-up is the problem. I think the defence, the build-up from the defence is also a problem. Yeah, I, I just think, if I'm honest, I just think the problems run deeper um, than that. And, and I think the solution is, is probably a bit more complicated than putting Joe Hardy up front for 20 minutes. I'll tell you something, and, and listen, I, listen, I agree with you there. Of course it is, and we know that. We've talked about the midfield, we've talked about you know, how, how we, over, we often get overrun by the midfield. Interesting, and just coming back to this as well, on Friday, my Sheffield uh, Blades, mate, because you know we've got chums from every team, and he messaged us on Friday just before they played their match on Friday with West Brom. Um, he, he messaged me saying that he saw the Brentford team at, um, at, at Sheffield Station. So he presumed that we were staying in Sheffield. Whether or not they went up to Sheffield and then they changed them and up to Lincoln, I don't know. But anyway, that was the score. Then I had a conversation with him. I said, you know, fair play to you guys. You know, you came down there and everyone tipped their hat to you and they thought that you worked really, really hard. Um, I said to him, you know, how's John Egan been doing? He said, I thought John Egan, when he started off, he was absolute dog shit, he goes. And, and all the Sheffield fans thought he was exactly the same. But he's come into his own recently and he's really fitted in. I said, well, three-man defence, we, we tried a three-man defence and it didn't quite work for us. We were all over the place when he tried it, but it seems to work for you. And he goes, we've got a three-man defence. And we, but he goes, but we've got a midfield which absolutely runs their socks off. They work so hard for each other. They know what they're doing. They're really organised. And he goes, it works when our team's midfield is working and running all the time for 90 minutes it works but when we don't it falls apart and that is basically their USP and that's how they came and they, 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 they destroyed us and, and to some extent that goes back to Dave's earlier point is that you know are they playing for Thomas Frank because if they're not that's the first sign is they ain't going to be running for 90 minutes and let's be honest we have not seen a midfield performance 
since the Leeds game, um, like that game where they ran for 90 minutes. Admittedly, we haven't always had the, that personnel available. And I, I personnel, sorry, is very important because Thomas Frank did mention quite a lot personnel, personnel, personnel. Whether or not it's injury, whether or not it's pl- players that aren't within the squad, whatever. So that is a point. Yeah, yeah, that is a point. And um, but that, but that's ultimately what we'll be looking for. Is that you know are these are they running their socks off? Because because to be honest, if you're going to play the way we play, and especially and and and, and David Anderson's made this point elsewhere. Um, that he was on the podcast last week and he's also written an article that if, you've got, if you're going to try and play Josh McCracken if you're not defending further up the pitch to give him because if you're, if you're dependent on him defending you've got no chance so you have to be defending further up the pitch to give him the ability to play and, and if you don't have that work ethic then, then you know it's not going to work for you I think I think the answer to our problems lie within the squad that we've got. I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not really anti everything Brentford, and I think that's the thing that you need to realise that I'm, I might be um, I might not be convinced with Thomas Frank, but I'm not anti everything Brentford are doing. Uh, I, I believe that we've got a, 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 a brilliant A and B team squad. Uh, they're not. They're not giving some. The answers lie within what we've got. They, the answer to our to getting us out of this problem isn't completely just reshuffling the same eleven every week. It's sometimes bringing out a wild card, and and I think that's the thing that they seem to re, to be reluctant to do. They seem to be happy to, to 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 let things that are working in the B team not filter through to the A team. And you know, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not as knowledgeable individually. I've got the, not got the data, the running. The, I'm not got the GPRS of the of the players and what the effort they put in. But I know if someone's scoring goals in the B team, they can probably score goals in the A team with better service. And uh, I, do, I just think that we need to just take a couple more risks with some untried players. I, you know. People are going to laugh at me, but De- Denny Mundy, like, it will always have a place in my heart because he was thrown in a random wild card and he ended up being a great goal scorer for us. But he wasn't a goal scorer, and he, you know, it was a, it was a complete and utter fluke, probably. But someone took the gamble and it works. So that, so I think Dave, Dave's advocating that we need to turn a right back into a centre forward. So. Um, on Saturday, I'm expecting to see Dale's goal up front. Listen, listen, but we've had, we've had. To be fair, you know, we, we, during the the Wilburton days, we did have Harley Dean up front. You know, what I'm saying so. So anything could happen. I'd rather have Moses or Josh Clark up there, to be honest. Bentley went up in that last game as well. <laughs> so listen, look, look. The tipping point. The tipping point is almost here. Like you said to you, it's the Bolton game, and the Bolton game is the halfway point in this season. We're going to talk about Bolton a little bit later, but we want to try and pick things up a little bit now. We've had a good old conversation about Brentford, and uh, you know we're fans. We can't change things, but we can say what we feel, and that's what we've done. And also, like I say to you on Saturday, yeah, well, football's dead apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, on Saturday as well, if you post bets podcast, anyone can come up to us and tell us exactly what your thoughts are. You may be absolutely Thomas Frank out. Say what you feel. You know, more people just say what you feel. You know what I'm saying? You might think he's the best coach in the world. Say what you feel. Podcast podcast, you can come in, you can come onto our podcast, you can come to a radio show. Come on on Monday, Mondays in the new year. We're, we're, we're off the air for a few weeks, but come on there and say what you feel because this isn't actually an open forum. And what we do is that we give people the opportunity 
to vent their views and say their views. You can even write, write for Besotted, besotted.com. But anyway, we're going to try and pick things up a little bit. 18 months time, we're moving to a new stadium. Keeping things on the up, we're hoping that we'll at least be in the championship, if not the Premier Division, and not any other division, because that'll just be too depressing. So let's just keep things on the up because it is Christmas and we're jolly, we're happy. Everyone here is having parties. There's people on the tables. Hello, yes. Excuse me. Uh, no. Are you having... Oh, no, no. <laughs> Hilarious. Christmas party people. They are so partying, but they still won't come on the market. But they won't come on. They obviously heard what had happened at the uh, Cross Keys uh, a year or so ago when we, uh, when we, when we gatecrashed a Tinder party or a Tinder date and, uh, and it, all went, it all went off. It all went sort of slightly viral on that one. People, everyone had heard about that one in the in the West London area, so I think people are scared. But it's good. Christmas parties there in the George IV pub. It's actually a nice little vibe. But like I said to you, 18 months' time, we're moving down the road to Lionel Road. And the main thing about these fans have been worried about is maintaining the heritage, maintaining what our club is all about. Griffin Park's been there for 100-plus years, and, and, and it's got a certain vibe about it. People come there, even though it's... It's old, even though it's got a certain uniqueness about it, even though it's, uh, it is the most modern stadium, but people go there because they like the vibe that it has because it's not like these other stadia out these, these identical stadium. But we have to move for various financial reasons. We're very lucky that we're moving just down the road so we're not moving to Woking or Hayes or somewhere out somewhere where we could have a massive stadium, right? Loads of stadiums with no vibe around it. We're moving just down the road to a stadium which is slightly smaller um, but we want to make sure that stadium reflects no, it's bigger than Griffin Park but it's not it's not going to be any bigger than, if we went to Hayes land's cheap out there we could have had a 40,000 stadium for the same price you know what I'm saying land's because it's cheaper but no we've got the queue very expensive queue so stadium's smaller but it's still bigger than our stadium but the, but the most important thing is that we maintain what's Brentford about this stadium and a little bit of news came out last week, which had the alarm bells ringing. Is that right, lady? Yeah, it certainly is right. Um, the first, the first um, posh seats, as we had the posh cars last week, were announced, and the uh, the names of the the lounges were the Grand Union Canal or something. Um, there was no canal there; just Grand Union. Grand Union, no. Um, the um, the, the, the orchard, and then something else that was equally as kind of like tepid in terms of Brentford heritage, and it, it, it stuck in, it stuck in my craw, and it stuck in the craw of you know of um, Trevor at the uh, uh, Griffin Park Grapevine and um, and bias and. So we, we approached the club to say that we didn't think that the first names that had been announced bore enough um, heritage and, um, and, and, and respect to the, the club's history. And we were told today, well yesterday on Monday, that they were going to assess the, the situation. And apparently, from what I hear, they're not fussed. So the club of they're, they're not that worried that there is a, a, there is concern, 
and um, it would appear that they are more worried about getting a rugby club to come in and partner with them in the stadium than they are about getting the DNA of the stadium right as, as we transfer. And we will absolutely, categorically, make sure that there is no reason why that every part of this new stadium doesn't tip its hat and kiss the badge to Griffin Park and the club's heritage. There is no reason why the Brentford Football Club cannot move forward by looking backwards in, a, the, in the proudest of ways. And the little, some people think these are, they're little things, but I think they're massive things. If you get the little things right, then the big things follow. And if you've got people making decisions that haven't got a clue, then we will haul them over the coals over this. This is, this is my, my... The only thing that I can do going forward, I can't live forever, but what I can do is I can make sure that the ground that we go to is right as much as I can have control over. And if anyone thinks that they can name... A, um, a stand, a lounge, a beer after the Grand Union Canal rather than the first Brentford captain or whatever, they're wrong. So, and it, so it's interesting. I mean, I had, again, a little chat as well last Thursday um, when I talked to a couple of people and I just I mentioned it as well. I, you know, and I said, obviously, you've heard there's a little bit of, a, a little bit of uproar because part of this uh, communication process with the fans is that you, 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 you they're meant to be moving forward together so there is a number of fan consultations which you know some people thought were positive some people thought you know they were a bit of a box ticking exercise you know and I'm just, again I'm just I'm just throwing that out there as to what people have been saying some people thought yeah it's positive some people just thought they were just doing it because they needed to do it but then they're moving forward to what they do anyway the problem that they've got is <laughs> the first situation that you have where the new stadium is being announced and it's being built and we, we, we're moving to stage one which involves a series of seats and an area which has always it's also been slightly contentious because it's an area where some people are like well this is the halfway line I normally sit at the halfway line at Griffin Park I can't necessarily sit at the halfway line unless I actually take out a second mortgage I've heard it's going to be very expensive but then all of a sudden is that this area that you're dedicating here which will have lounges that people can go to is not going to be associated it's going to have real association with Brentford and like I said to you, I had a little word, and the, the, the feedback that I got, what I was told, is because the rugby club were coming in, and we had to have more neutral names to make the rugby club, or the London Irish, to not upset London Irish as well. And maybe the words weren't not upset, probably, you know, forgive me, but that is my interpretation of it. So this is why we've gone more neutral, and um, I thought that was a bit peculiar, because the thing I said to you is, so we're designing a stadium now... Um, the, the London Irish are in effect designing our stadium. That's the question that I asked, and it's, like, oh, no, it's not quite like that. I think a little bit of clarity is led, led here. I mean, Laney and, and 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 Trevor and all the other characters—they're leading this um, this this charge quite head on. But to me, it's just there's just a little bit of a worry if they the club are coming back saying this is not important because first of all, there's an argument to say that the names of the lounges don't really matter. So they don't really matter from a perspective. So if they were called, you know, the Curtis Lounge or anything like that, why would it? Why would that worry London Irish? 
The second thing is that if it was called the Curtis Lounge on a Brentford day and then you changed it and named it something else on a London Irish day, then why can't you do that? But what happened is that surely we should be the priority here. And to me at the moment now, it seems that there's a little bit of toe tapping around to try and make everybody happy. And once you get that situation, you do get a little bit of a shit show map. Yeah, a bit of an own goal for me. Um, Dave mentioned the names of lounges, what, three or four minutes ago. I've read the names of lounges. And apart from the Grand Union one kind of sticks a bit. The other two haven't got a scooby what they are. Um, That's an own goal as far as I'm concerned. If they'd have been named, you know, I don't know, the, the Brian Statham Lounge, you know, the, 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 the Denny Mundy Lounge or whatever. I'm not suggesting they should be, but but that was, that's going to stick, isn't it? And I'll be able to tell you the name of all three lounges now. So I do think that's a bit, you know, I do think that's a bit of a a bit of an own goal. I, I think it also, I, I, I might want to revisit why the seats aren't red, because I kind of bought this idea that, that you know, it makes the ground look a bit fuller than... than um, you know, if, 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 if it's not full and you can have these sort of multicoloured seats things and it makes the ground look full still and on telly, now I'm starting to think, hang on a minute, I'm wondering whether there's a bit more to it than that. And, and that's, a, that's quite an important point because, again, listen, let's not be, let's, let's try and not be negative here, right? Right, the club's got to be positive, and I'm not saying that, let's be positive here. Listen, we've bought ourselves and we're building a stadium which is smaller than was meant to be. But also, and I've said this many times, I quite like the idea that me and our mates will go inside the stadium which is brimming and it is jumping, right? Because you got, because at the end of the day, we are Brentford. We're not Man United, right? So we're not, you know, the, the idea of trying to fill a 40,000-seat stadium every week like you see other teams, even Fulham are struggling half the time to fill their stadium half the time. Sunderland, 10,000, 8,000 fans in a, what, 40-odd thousand It's ridiculous. For us to go inside there and it's jumping... At 17, I think it would be brilliant. However, when you start giving the excuse that the seats have to be multicoloured so that if it's empty, it looks full, actually, maybe try and spend a little bit more time and effort filling the stadium so it's full every single week. Because if you get clubs like St. Pauli, who are languishing near the bottom of the middle of the second division in Germany or the bottom of the second division and they're full every week and you've got other clubs that do that because they spend a lot of time building up their brand and letting people come there regardless of how they're doing on the pitch that's what we should be concentrating on rather than worrying that the ground looks empty if the TV cameras come on Whose stadium is this? It's our stadium Whose fans were at the, um, the, 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 you know, the council offices to celebrate us getting the planning for it? Brentford fans if we're going to lose our amazing, historic, wonderful Griffin Park, then you've got to give us a stadium that is ours and that is as special as what we're losing. And everything they're suggesting so far feels like it takes away from that a little bit. And like, give the lounges names of Brentford stuff. It's really basic. I know it's a ground share, but London, we're doing London Irish a favour, right? So we get priority, surely. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to put my devil's advocate head on here for a minute. I'm saying, London Irish, you're saying they're doing us a favour. London Irish say, well, actually, we're giving you lots of money. So we're actually doing you a favour here. We're doing lots of money, so we want to say in this. And also, being a devil's advocate head on, yes, you've been going for years and you get really upset about these names of these uh, lounges. But to be quite honest with you, most people, they don't really care. That's my devil's advocate. I'm throwing it over to you, lady. What, most people don't care about London Irish? 
most people don't care about these names. You're getting upset about it, and other other people are. But but but, but, well, well, they should. They 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 should care because if you don't care about your club's history, then what kind of fan are you? To be honest with you. And if you if you if you say, oh well, it happened years ago, well maybe you ought to pay a little bit more attention because, you know, if you. You, you have to you have to know where you've come from to know where you're going to go to, and and the, the the fact that you love Brentford is is wrapped up in how Brentford always was. You know the fact that we are how we are now is because we all, we were as we were a hundred years ago. It, it, it's no coincidence. The the, the Brentford the Brentford fans of 125 years ago were very much similar to the Brentford fans of today and you have to you have to know your history to understand it and it's not about taking an O level or an A level in it it's, it's just it's just take paying a little bit of attention and and I and I have to say you know they can separate the rugby club and the football club they have to do that they have to pay a little bit more attention to getting these details right because I'll, I'll be honest with you it's, it's my life's it's my life's mission to make this work it, on a on an historical point because if they don't do it right, I'm after them. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think um, I agree. We need to go out there. I agree. We need to find new people to come to the, you know, to come watch Brentford. And um, if they want to, you know, bring some money and stuff like that, that's great. But we also need to connect with um, the local community. We need to make it affordable. And the other thing is, we need not to take our current fans for granted here and just assume they're going to come along. Um, you've got to be very, very careful with this. There's a lot of, there's a lot more to your match day experience than watching what's going on on the pitch. And obviously, if you're winning, it, it helps. But, you know, you're not always going to be winning. And you've got to be very, very careful. Do not take people for granted. As we know now, uh, you're not necessarily always winning. And uh, we're going through that at the moment now. And it'd be interesting if we actually took this same experience to Lionel Road. If we were going through this very same patch now, um, everyone at the club would have to be working a lot harder to appease. And not to appease, but to work together with us who are actually turning up to matches, never mind the people that ain't turning up to matches, because these are, you have to remember that for every sunny day that you have, there's lots of rainy days as well. And for you to prepare for the future, prepare for rainy days, because the sunny days is easy. It's easy for people to come in when it's sunny, but it's the rainy days. So you have to basically make sure that people are happy and comfortable and cool for them rainy days. So all I'm saying is that Everyone's had a little chat about this around the table. I think we've made our point of view very clear. I think what's very positive, though, is the fact that, OK, there is a communication line happening between the fans and the uh, the club. They've opened it up. Yeah, they might have come back to us at certain things, but we've still got the communication lines opening. You know, uh, the way, that, again, that we don't do business, that we don't shout out and swear and shout and just, you know, talk for 180 characters, you know, we say, listen, we're going to come into your office and we're going to sit down and we're going to tell you exactly why we're not happy about this. You can tell us exactly why and we will have a conversation with you for 10, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever it may be, and then we'll, you can go away and deal with it, we'll deal with it. And that is what's happening at the moment now. What will come of it, we don't know, but at the end of the day, that is the process. So, fingers crossed, the club is listening, as we, we know they are, because obviously they are, and fingers crossed, after Christmas, they may feel a little bit more festive about the gifts that they're giving to the Brentford fans. But listen, anyway, we would be desperate to get back on a more festive vibe because we're sitting here ranting a little bit, but we've got to think of the positives. 
and the negatives, the ups and downs, you know, it's 2018, the highs and lows of this year. Let's talk about that because that might actually give us something to smile about. So in the George the Fourth here, the music is flowing. The people are on the tables. Honestly, it's all properly going off in this place here. Actually, you can tell it's a few days before Christmas, and the people, you know, office parties. People are just, they just, they just, they just let it. The shoulders are just dropped to the floor. I mean, they've all dropped to the floor, to be honest with you, and they're on the tables, they're dancing around the place. Even the band up the front there, you know, they know that this is the day that they're going to get the biggest reaction, and we're sitting here majorly depressed because we haven't won a game for about 155 years. But listen, we're going to pick it up because we're going to look back over 12 months of Brentford. It's the besotted review. And we're going to review the last 12 months, and we're going to look about the ups and the downs, the days that made us really happy. There might be just moments, personal moments, that made us really happy. There were also moments that made us really, really sad. And like I said to you, around the table there, and also characters who have just messaged us or tweeted us or emailed us and just said, listen, guys, this is what I remember about Brentford, which really made me smile or cry this season. So, the besotted review of 2018, and I'm just going to go around. Guys, I mean, any highs that you could think of, Kate? So my first high is going to be the first game of this season. The 5-1 spanking of Rotherham. Goals from an amazing range of players, including McLeod, who who knew that was coming. Um, goal from Canos, Mope, Watkins. That's, I felt that was the best start to the season for a really long time. We looked exciting, we looked hot. And in some ways that just makes this moment even worse. But that was an amazing, amazing moment. As well, and I think, you know, I think it's my Henry Walker, or is it no, Tony Ryan, the, the meepy Tony Ryan as well, said that as the first game of the season. And for me as well, if you listen to our Love Sport Radio show over Christmas, we'll be talking about our highs and lows. And that for me was massive, that Rotherham game. I thought we we're going to be absolute world beaters, as we say. World beaters then, and now we've, we can't even beat an egg. You know, any other, the, the Allard, highs for you? Yeah, for me, um, I mean, I'm trying to think back to that last time I had a really sort of like, like, nice warm feeling about about the way we're, um, we've been playing this season I, and I, I think it was the Wigan game the home game to Wigan where liquid football liquid football liquid football but and and, and I, I I'm pretty sure I remember saying on the podcast that this season felt different and, um, and it is different uh, but not in quite the way I thought it was going to be at the time and Henry Walker called that one as well as when again he, he, I think he, he tweeted into to, to Besotted and said uh, the liquid football Wigan game was the one for me Laney yeah there's, there's been a few um, I, I, I'm, I am actually like looking at the list that people have sent us as well and, and agreeing with a couple but I, I, I'll agree with these two I thought the more paid penalty at Leeds where he gave it the big one to the Leeds fans I, I thought that, that was pretty special um, it felt like we're here we're we're Brentford, we're, we're not going to get bowed down to, to any intimidation. At that stage, it, it felt to me like we'd arrived and we were the real deal. 
Um, unfortunately, and I'm not harping back to Dean Smith, but that was Dean Smith's last game. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's that. Um, I, I, also, I also think that um, clear, clearly the, the, you know, the, the equaliser at Fulham you know, was, was, was pretty damn special. But I don't, I don't want all of these to be away games. I think, I think knowing that Griffin Park was a fortress and we could, we could come to Griffin Park knowing that we probably weren't going to lose... I was quite happy with that. that. That seems to have gone at the moment, but we'll, we'll get that back. We'll get that back. We've got another season and a half at Griffin Park. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get. We'll, 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 we'll reinstate the the fortress, and I and I think that the players that need to play for Brentford need to know that they need to not lose at Griffin Park. I've got, you know, I've got again a few. We're going to do the highs. I mean, we try not to do the lows, but let's just keep the highs because look, it's Christmas here, and uh, you know the, the sleigh bells are ringing and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to bring it back to last summer as well, which is a proper laugh. This is from the Besotted. We're very proud that we actually brought Martin Allen to uh, to our Besotted end of season bees up. He was a complete and utter brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, every summer, to be fair, we've had some great, you know, great guests that have come up and entertained the fans and Martin Allen was brilliant so brilliant that it's five months later or six months later and we still haven't quite worked out how we're going to edit up the podcast for that one because there's so much material on there that was either probably quite libelous or get him into trouble or get someone into trouble that it's probably one of those ones that was probably less best left for the evening yeah so uh, we, we, might, we may be able to do something but it's probably going to be sort of kind of one word here and three words there but, yeah but that was an absolutely fantastic night and like I said to you we've got Lloyd Wusu and uh, Darren Powell at the Christmas Bees up on Friday night at the Fuller's Brewery which is going to be brilliant as well other than that as well what we're going to say is Makocho we talked about the Leeds game Leeds game we were very good and that's probably one of our v- v- last decent moments as well but Makocho's performance at that Leeds at that non Leeds game he was he was absolutely brilliant and it's one of those ones where you think hey we could switch up our midfield you know we can have a bit of McEachran when we want we can have a bit of Makocho aren't we so fantastic but um, since then we haven't quite seen well he got injured after that to be fair and um, where else is there as well for me I'm going to say as well there's a couple of things for me obviously for me with puns being in Red Square in Moscow with my Brentford flag okay that you know, to have a you know, in front of Red Square with the Brentford flag in, because it is just like it's like one of the it's not the seven wonders of the world but it's a wonders so that was quite fantastic and also puns has said you know Brentford fans, there's me, um, Puns and Andy, the Bahraini B uh, gripper, on uh, on the beach in Samara as well. Brentford fans in Russia as well. Just nice to be there supporting your country, but also you're there supporting your club as well. Okay, any others? Yes. I am going to say, I'm going to say two things. So first one, signing Josh De Silva in August, because I think that's an exciting signing. Looks a good new player, good sign of intent all that kind of stuff and then my other one that I'm going to say is Millwall away which I know sounds like a negative because that was a terrible game but in the keeping football out of football spirit games dead spirit the post Millwall drinking in Fourport Bury was was a beautiful beautiful thing I mean the whole the, the, and, and again we did the pre-match where we actually dis- discovered the uh, what is it the the, 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 the mile the Bur- the Bermondsey Mile which is about sort of 150 uh, breweries 
from uh, London Bridge all the way down to Millwall, and we probably did all of them. And uh, and by the time we got down to Fieldpure, it was very good. Went to the game, they came back, and actually, it was a wonderful moment because we that's where we met UK, wasn't it? Yeah. After the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I drunkenly wandered up to you, and I was like, "You miss that?" <laughs> but also, the other thing that I learned beautifully on that day is that at Millwall Football Club, and I promise never to repeat this, but I'm going to repeat it now because it's Christmas and I'm sharing. You can buy wine at the Millwall Bar. Oh, they don't broadcast that one, do they? Oh, no, it's not. You know, game's dead. Right, anyway. Um, other highs, um, I think um, I think the Sunderland away game um, last season, because, again, it felt like we were... I mean, it turns out Sunderland were proper shit. So I think we kind of knew... Uh, but it, but we convinced ourselves that we were cruising for the playoffs at that point, and, um, and I pretty much convinced myself we did a job on them. Um, it was a top day out, a um, lot of characters around. Took over the pub. I can't remember the name of it, but the whole the whole pub thing. Um, yeah, and that, and that, and that was a, a memory of a, of a of a great day, and um, you know the sort of thing that I feel like we're missing a bit at the moment. But um, yeah, great. We on the highs or lows. Um, it, it, might, it might sound a bit oh really stating the bleeding obvious but just being in the championship still I think um, you know I, I, I think that I've been you know I'm not as young as I was I still feel it and uh, you know I, I, I've been supporting Brentford for a lot of years now and I, we've always craved to be in this division and we're, we're there, and we're there on merit, and we're 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 here to stay. We're not we're not going we're not going anywhere. We you know we can we can we can gripe about Thomas Frank. We can we can query about where we're going with the manager or the head coach or whatever. That that will get sorted out. We've got a half a season to sort this shit out. We, we we're not going anywhere. We got we got the players. So um, just just being in this level, and that, that might sound really underwhelming. It might actually sound defeatist. But if you if you you know if you've gone through what we've gone through as Brentford fans, is you know you, you, you'll you'll get me. Game's dead. For me, again, I'm thinking about um, as people here know, we do love our away days. We go away a lot of Brentford. We always find really decent bars to go to. We hang out with the away fans, all that kind of business. But what I actually uh, loved last our best away day last season, ironically, wasn't a uh, Brentford day. It was a beating game when we decided to fly over on a Wednesday night to go and see Brentford play Dundalk, as you do. And we did a podcast for it, Pride of West London. Just check it out. It, we had a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Wednesday. They're so brilliant that we're actually considering, even though Brentford got a home game that day, possibly going to the Bayern Munich game. It, it may or may not be so much fun, I don't know, because uh, I don't know if loads of Bayern, Bayern Munich fans probably won't be at that game the same way the Dundalk fans were. But um, it was an absolutely brilliant, or as puns calls it, fun dork. The Irish fans were great. The atmosphere was really good. It was freezing cold, and like I said, Kev O'Connor was there to show his leadership. And he took, you know, he was it, they were good to us, and, and we had a great day. Uh, Kate, I want to bring it down a little bit, and I want to know any lows that you could think of. Um, well, quite a lot of lows. Um, I think the big one is probably Rob Rowan, because that feels like a massive blow to the club. What get next, um, just because I feel like we've lost someone really pivotal in what we're doing right now, but what we also have lost is someone who's going to be really influential and exciting in the future. 
and, and this is just people who have listened who might not know it's Rob Rowan our technical director who, uh, who really unfortunately died about a month ago from a, from a heart problem yeah 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 apologies for not explaining um, but yeah it feels like one of the really exciting things our club does is invest in young people not just on the pitch but also off the pitch and take risks and that's exciting and challenging and, and really really good and to lose someone who was obviously doing all the things we want our club to do in such tragic circumstances is really awful so that feels like a massive massive low lows low lows Millwall away um, why is that obviously not because we met Kate <laughs> um, but because for me that was the end of that season um, it was where it became blatantly obvious we you know I think it was a week before, two weeks before Sunderland, I thought we were going to do the playoffs and then a Millwall away, it became absolutely clear we were not good enough to be in the playoffs. Um, and in fact, we weren't, you know, we weren't even good enough to beat Millwall. And I think Millwall finished higher than us and actually gave the playoffs a bit more of a run than we did. So, yeah, that was kind of my low in, in football terms. Uh, Ipswich. Ipswich away probably this season for me because I just thought that we we were playing well, really well, and uh, we deserved to win. And it, it, it showed to me that here we go again. You know, here we go again where we we deserve to win. We get the possession, we get the chances. We're not taking them. We're we're almost there, but not quite there. And and I, and I think that's where that's where I put us now under Thomas Frank. To be honest with you. We're almost there, but not quite there, and I'm not sure what the missing ingredient is. And you know, we're, we're, we're still in the we're still in the championship, though. For, for me, I have to admit, one of the low was actually the Arsenal Cup game. And a lot of people say, "What are you talking about?" But the fact is that you know, a you know, we took nine thousand fans there. But in the second, in the first half, we absolutely didn't show up. Um, the second half, yeah, we were a bit better, and Arsenal said, oh, "You look quite good." But looking back on it, it was actually a sign of things to come. And we've actually not, we've not, you know, we've, we've not won a game. Uh, we've won one game since then, actually, you know, but since then it was like, it's part of that whole decline that we've had. And that Arsenal Cup game was actually, uh, to me, is really quite disappointing. The atmosphere in the way end was a bit, a bit rubbish. You know, we had 9,000 fans, you know, again, it goes to show you, you go to these stadia, you're split up, the singers and the people are all split up and it's just, you know, and then you've got the tourists that come in and they're in between you and it just goes to show you what will happen if you try and build yourself and try and make yourself too big. All of a sudden you spend so much time trying to drag people in from here, there and everywhere and it kind of splits up the hardcore. So what we had is that a lot of Brentford fans in that stadia, but the atmosphere for me wasn't great. Second half was a bit better, but that's a bit of a shame. Also, um... A lot of people have talked about, I'm just going to do a quick up, which is to do up is obviously the Birmingham home game when we beat them 5-0, when they had the, the, the Tannoy and we really ripped Harley Dean big time and, you know, put, the, 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 the Tannoy was playing, you know, um, the, the, the monkeys, you know, cheer, um, the cheer, cheer up Sleepy Jean, cheer up Harley Dean and the whole crowd was singing. That was a massive up. Obviously, but interestingly though, um, Liberal Nick actually said that it was a low for him because he actually missed the Birmingham game due to work commitments. Cheers. Massive, massive hive. And not, not only that, but Liberal Nick also missed missed the Fulham equaliser, didn't he? Yeah, not big high again there because he had to leave the ground early to get his train. Big high. It's funny how we get a high from the from the goals. Liberal Nick is a no, and then we get a high because Liberal Nick has actually missed the high. But anyway, that goes on as well. Um, other, 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 other lows. A lot of people have actually put 
um, Henry Walker, Ali, um, Tony, they've talked about um, going 3-0 down at home to Swansea. Only a few weeks ago, after 30 minutes, we were properly clueless. That has become a high. You know, if you imagine there's 12 months this season, and that was in December, and that has become one of the sort of the lows of the season as well. I'm sure, listen, but let's, we've got to pick it up again. We always try and pick it up. There must be some other highs. Kate? That uh, Joseph Soon goal against QPR at the end of last season, that was a, to, to get the win, that was a really, really good moment. I enjoyed that. Yeah, lads. Um, well, obviously the Mope equaliser against Fulham, I've just mentioned it, and maybe you mentioned it there as well. It's very noisy in here tonight, so I can't hear everything's being said. So, yeah, I, 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 a, a big high there. Um, and um, and I don't, I'm not quite sure how we managed to go on this topic for about five or six minutes without mentioning the home game to Birmingham, which was just... Um, it's just I'm, I'm giggling internally now, thinking about it. Lady. Yeah, um, doing QPR and Fulham at home... Um, you know, absolutely. You, you, you can never tire of that. Uh, I, I, yeah, again, just just another season of Griffin Park. I might I might sound a little bit like nostalgic, but I'm kind of I'm kind of slightly into the make the most of this beautiful ground for the last two years, and and I, I'll, I'll take my highlights from there if I'm honest. Um, the goal away to Stoke. Um, you know, yeah, just yeah. just yeah. 155 passes, yeah? yeah, 156, I think it was 75 percent or something. Um, total football, yeah, uh, apart from the, and then we give them a goal, yeah, I, but that's the area. Don't talk about that on the on the on the low on the on the lows front as well. Again, we, we've got to talk about a couple of more of the lows. Um, a lot of people are saying Ryan Woods' sale, they didn't realize how much Ryan Woods leaving is going to affect uh Brentford and also um Bieland as well. Uh, the rest all the rest as well another one of the besotted crew who is, is part of our crew especially the matchday crew he talked about that um, a, bit, a, a big low there as well uh, for, for me and I'll do a little bit of a personal one is uh, managed to sneak in getting to wear a Brentford shirt of sports personality of the year on uh, on Sunday which is a bit of a bit of a sneaky one as well seeing as I was talking about England like you know what I'm saying but other than that like you know say Barnsley away a few people talked about Barnsley away um, which was a bit because I know you talked about Millwall, but I thought still with Barnsley, if we'd beaten Barnsley, we were still we were we were still in the game, you know, you know we were still in the game. But other than that, where else are we talking about, you know? But has anybody else got any highs or lows that they want to talk about at all? No, no, oh no, we've run out, we've run out of highs or lows. Kate, I feel like this is a, this is a mixed bag, but the McLeod equaliser against West Brom felt like a really. I felt like I had hope in that moment. Walked into that game. I watched that game on the TV, I'll be honest. I walked in. I was a bit late. I was a bit drunk. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'll be like, you know, it was, it was a bad game. It was a tense game. I, I, felt, I felt sad most of the way through that game. And then I was elated. I was absolutely elated in that moment for McLeod to score that goal. Also with his head. Who knew he could do that? That was a good moment. I was like, come on. We can do this. We can turn it around. And then Lowe's, we couldn't. And Mats as well, our Swedish bee, flies in for bees games all over the gaff. He comes in the whole time and he flew in last season. Well, no, he was living here at the time. Um, he flew in. He was there and he went up to Barnsley. He thought the pre, pre-match at Barnsley was absolutely brilliant. And he said we had hopes of playoffs, loads of bees, really good fun. Barnsley fans were great. But obviously, 
he put it also down as a low the fact that we lost 2-0 but I think also for him he doesn't put that down but the fact that he actually flew in for the West Brom game he flew in from Sweden he came in he planned his whole week and he flew in for the West Brom game and he brought in he was going to fly back on the Sunday after the West Brom game on the Saturday and uh, even if it moved to a, a Sunday morning or a Friday night he'd have been there and they moved it to the Monday the only day that he hadn't planned for so he went home on the Sunday back to Sweden not having seen that game and he was absolutely gutted but listen we we think that we've actually is there, is there any more you, any more highs or lows at all no we've, we've I think we've extinguished this one but this is Brentford's 2018 hopefully it's made a few people smile up there to think that actually we haven't had that bad a year it's been compressed into probably the last oh cool hold a second we got a lot we got a, we got a bit of injury time an injury time a uh, bit of action more pays equaliser at Villa have we, have we said that one? Uh, Malpais equaliser at Fuller as well, which is which Villa. Are, yeah, which at Villa, which quite a few people have gone for, and and uh, and Laney's gone in for that as well. Which, like I said to you, makes people realise that we haven't had that bad a year. It's just been compacted into about two months of absolute hell for Brentford fans, where all of a sudden is that everything that could have gone wrong. I mean, again, we're going to talk about sort of lows. I've got you've got to mention Thomas Frank's horrendous record. You know, losing, what's it, eight or nine games within a very short space of time. This has got to be one of the biggest lows of the season. And uh, will we be able to get out of it? We'll, we will see. Let's see if we come out with some Christmas cheer. But listen, thanks for listening, everybody, to the Brentford highlights and the lowlights of the season. We're going to have to look to Saturday to a massive six-pointer. Bolton Wanderers are coming to town. Just to give a little bit of a positive on this... The last time we were on a proper slumper, we were all over the place. We weren't winning a match and we went to Bolton and we bang, we beat them 3-0. And it actually turned our season around to a certain extent. So listen, we're hoping the same thing will happen on Saturday. But we need to find out a little bit about Bolton. So we're going to go to the line of Vienna Suite Posse. Eddie Skelly is going to give us his five from the hive. Five from the Hive, Bolton Wanderers. Hi, I'm Ed Skelly and I write for the Bolton Wanderers fan site, the line of Vienna Suites. I've been going to games now for well over 20 years and I've seen it all as a fan, really, from the glory days of the Sam Allardyce era, you know, to get to see some of the players we had at that time, uh, like J.J. Kocha, Yuri Jokiev, Ethan Campo, Fernando Hierro, Gary Speed, Elad Stuf, Nicholas Anelka, and to see those players help contribute to the uh, Bolton qualifying for Europe for the first time in the history was just absolutely fantastic. And we got some fantastic times in Europe, like the draw against Bayern Munich and the win against Atletico Madrid. It was an unbelievable time to be a fan. Uh, we've had a lot of lows in more recent times, like relegation to, from the Premier League in 2012 and relegation from the Championship in 2016 to where we are now languishing near the bottom of the Championship, but you stick with your club through thick and thin. Bolton had a tricky time last year but avoided relegation by the skin of their teeth for the last day of the season. Is it Groundhog Day now, or can you see Bolton riding the waves? Bolton really did struggle last season, you know, and for large parts of that season, it really didn't look like we were going to stay up, and it looked like um, relegation back to League One at the first time of asking was a, a real possibility. So to stay up and win the manner that we did was it was just absolutely fantastic. You know, it was a miraculous recovery, being five minutes away from relegation on the final day of the season. 
and to come back from uh, losing 2-1 against Forest to win that game 3-2 was just brilliant you know Aaron Wilberham has written his name into Bolton folklore forever for his winner and it was a real day to celebrate you know um, as Bolton fans we've not had a lot to celebrate in recent years but that was definitely a day uh, to be thankful to be a Bolton fan and you know to be thankful to remain in the Championship but I think the majority of Bolton fans will agree with me that you, you wanted to see your side push on and progress and uh, even though that day was fantastic, you know, you don't want to be relying on that last day win to stay in the league. You know, you want to be safe before the end of the season. And I think that was a lot of fans' expectation going into this season uh, to see your side push on that little bit. You know, we're not expecting miracles at Bolton, but, you know, to push on that little bit, grind out results and to be more, you know, lower mid-table would have been great. And it really looked like that was a real possibility after the first four games. You know, we took 10 points um, and, you know, we beat West Brom the open day of the season and nobody saw that coming. Um, but since then, we've really dropped like a stone. You know, we've only had one win in our last 18 games, taking eight points in that time. And we've gone goalless in more than half of those games, you know, and we're 23rd and on the balance of play, you know, we deserve to be where we are at the minute. Word on the street is Bolton are really struggling financially. How come? And what does that mean for you for the rest of the season? I don't think it's a surprise to many people really that Bolton Monjus is struggling financially given the fact that we nearly went into administration back in September. Uh, our former owner, before he passed away, Eddie Davis, was able to lend Ken Anderson £5 million to pay off Blue Marble. So talk of administration was put to bed, thankfully. But it's clear to see that Ken Anderson doesn't have the funds to keep Bolton Monsters running sufficiently in the long term. And we really are desperate for new owners. Um, you know, somebody who can uh, put money you know, into the club and has the money to help the club progress and the passion to help the club progress. And until that happens, we're going to be stagnating and and you know living month to month um you know we've been promised the fans that uh, there won't be a fire sale of players in january but then gary medine was sold for six million pounds to cardiff last year and supposedly his transfer fee went into the running costs for the second half of last season so we'll have to wait to see on that you know but you know when you see things like the pays aren't being played on uh, paid on time and uh, you, stuff like that. It's, it's it's painful to see, and it's not nice to see, and it's it's given Bolton Wanderers the football club bad name. There seems to be a call for Phil Parkinson to be sacked by a section of Bolton fans. Do you think you need a fresh approach in the new year if you're going to have any chance of survival? Uh, Phil Parkinson's really had it tough uh, since he joined Wanderers in 2016. You know when he when he joined, we were under an embargo. And um, he managed to drag us out of League One into the Championship whilst being on the embargo. And, you know, fans really didn't see that coming. You know, nobody expected us to get promoted back to the Championship for the first time of asking. And he achieved that. And then to take that team, who was still under an embargo last season, and to keep us in the Championship was just absolutely miraculous. And no one can deny the unbelievable job Phil Parkinson has done in his time at Bolton but this season you know since the opening four games we've we've really struggled and maybe the off-field issues play their part but you know I don't think Parky knows his best 11 you know and that's proved by the fact that he's made more changes to his starting lineups than any other team in the championship this season and you know when, you, when you're making so many changes it's hard to get a level of consistency and that's you know we've only won one game in our last 18 you know we're struggling to score goals and uh, we're 23rd in the league and that comes with a certain amount of pressure too from the fans and, you know, and there's a large section of fans who would like to see a change you know, despite all the fantastic stuff he's done and some you know, some weeks I agree with that some weeks I don't agree with that because who would want to take over if we did get rid 
you know, given the off-field issues and the, the, the other factors involved with taking the ball manager job. Uh, I know that Reading have been linked with Phil Parkinson heavily in, in recent weeks since they uh, let go of Paul Clement. Um, and if they don't go down the foreign route with a Portuguese manager, as uh, the owners seem to be swaying toward, you know, there, there seems to be uh, a lot of hype for Phil Parkinson to rejoin the club, you know, the club where he's a legend, you know, uh, it would be, it wouldn't be a hard sell for him to join the club, you know, to go to Medeski and, and become manager. Um, and it could be a blessing in disguise for both parties, you know, Bolton could bring in somebody with fresh eyes who might be able to, you know, spur the club on to stay up, you know, and Parkinson gets to go without being sacked and gets to go to a club where he's loved, um, which could be great for him. On the pitch, Josh McGuinness leads the charge with four goals. You also have Sammy Amiobi on the score sheet. So you have firepower in your ranks. Why is it not quite working for you? Yeah, you look at the squad we've got now compared to last season, and on paper, you would have thought it'd be stronger. But for some reason, we've just really struggled with consistency this season. You know, Josh McGuinness was signed from Charlton for £200,000. It's the first transfer fee we'd paid in over three and a half years. And he started the season brilliantly. You know, he was scoring goals and really leading the line brilliantly. But since he, he missed the penalty against Brotherham at the start of October, he's really struggled and he's just really looked uh, short of confidence. And that goes for a lot of players in our team, you know, and especially some who joined uh, in the summer, like Yannick Wilshot on loan for Norwich. There was a lot of hype around his arrival and he scored two winners in August. But since then, he's really struggled for consistency and it just seems to be the story for a lot of our players this season. Um, you, you could say that most of our squad needs to be doing better, you know, and yeah, but it's really struggle to see where the goals are going to come from. Uh, Christine Deutsch was signed from Forest Green on the deadline day, um, and we're supposedly going to be paying up to a million pounds for him um, when he joins permanently in January, and he's only scored once, um, but he's not been, you know, he's it's tough to join. A championship club when you're coming from League Two, you know it's a big step up. You know, uh, bigger expectations, and maybe it was just too soon a move for him, or maybe he's just not uh, had enough time to prove himself yet. I don't know, um, but something needs to be changing. And you know, for whatever reason, even though the squad does look stronger on paper, we, they've just not been able to prove that this season. This is Brentford's first six-pointer of the season, pretty early as well. We're really low on confidence at the moment. Do you think it's going to be a case of Phil Parkinson ordering 11 men to keep behind the ball and grind out a nil all? And if the chance comes your way, nicking a goal on the break? Or do you think it's going to be different? Give us your score prediction. Dean Smith's departure really had a detrimental effect on your side, it looks like. And it's a bit of a surprise for me to see you languishing so far down the table as you are, you know, given the fantastic start you had and... Some of the players you've got are absolutely fantastic, like uh, Neil Mappay and uh, Romain Sawyers and Ollie Watkins. You know, these are fantastic top tier championship level players. And uh, a team like Brentford should be doing much, much better. And it's just a shame D. Smith left and you kind of suffered as a consequence. Um, definitely on your day, you know, Bolton aren't a match whatsoever. But for whatever reason, you know, you're struggling and uh, it gives Bolton a chance, you know, to get their first away points. Um, for a little while um, the way Phil Parkinson is definitely going to set up his team is to defend and to try and keep a clean sheet and soak up as much pressure as we can and then 
try and look for that bit of space and break and try and grab a goal on the counter-attack. Um, it's the way he's, he's always set up and um, it's worked to a, a certain degree. Um, but def- we're definitely going to be trying to do that this weekend. You know, um, Hopefully, some players like Sammy Amiobi, who's back from suspension, uh, he missed uh, the game against Leeds last week. Um, and players like that will lead the charge and hopefully we can try and get our first win in almost three months. It's a busy, festive period. Uh, there's a lot of games coming up and it's vital that both teams get points in this period or, you know, it could be detrimental and important for the rest of the season. Um, I think on the balance of play, it's probably going to be a draw. Uh, Bolton have really been struggling to score. Um, we're not awful defensively, but, you know, if Mopey, Sawyers and Watkins are really on form and fully fit and raring to go, then I, I, I can't see anything other than a Brentford win. Um, but given your form and all of the factors, I'm going to say nil-nil. I'll go really boring nil-nil. Um, it's very Christmassy, isn't it? Bolton Wanderers. You heard there from the Lion of Vienna Suite, Eddie Skelly. The Skelly man. I mean, they're feeling that Bolton, it's not quite happening in the Bolton zone, but trust me, the Beast fans at the moment are thinking exactly the same thing. We're, we're in a biggest downer as the Bolton fans are at the moment now, but the thing is that they've had more experience of it than we have. You know, they've had a couple of seasons and they went down before and they've come up, and, you know, whereas for us, this is brand new, so we kind of not quite sure how to handle this. We've had two months of hell, as far as we're concerned. Whereas Bolton, and this is no disrespect to Bolton, but they've been managing this for quite a few years. So my fear is actually they're going to come into this game a little bit more experienced in how to deal with this. And uh, if they come in and they see our heads down and our fans are not getting behind the team, they might be able to get a little bit of a tuck up on us. And that, that makes me a little nervous because on paper, we should win this game regardless of what's going on. We should win this game. But we need to, as we keep saying every week, be totally, totally on the ball. Kate? I believe in the hope of Griffin Park and I believe in the joy of a Christmas miracle. (laughs) So I believe in a hard-fought, dirty 1-0 victory. So so, so it goes for it. So the Allards? I haven't got Scooby. Um, I... Uh, it's, yeah, I've, I've had 10 minutes to think about this. In fact, I've had longer than that. Um, and um, I, I just don't know. Um, I won all, I think. I, I don't know when the corner's going to get turned. I don't know if it's going to get turned. Um, I'm not convinced it's going to be Saturday. The lady. Yeah, uh, we, we, we'll win on Saturday um, because we are infinitely better even even though we're not great at the moment we're, we're way better than Bolton and so we win on Saturday but that's that's, that's no get out of jail for, for Thomas you know that that's just like that's the, that's the bare minimum we we have to, we have to beat the, the worst teams in this division clearly because we're not you know we're, we're one of the be- we're still one of the better teams in this division in footballing terms we're just not being set up right. We're not. We're not being motivated right. There's, there's, there's probably three or four reasons that are contributing to five percent each of our of our deficit at the moment. 
So we need to, we need to quickly find out what they are. You know, it's it's selection of certain individuals. Um, it's it's getting a decent run of um, games where we're not playing the strongest teams in the division. It's getting injuries right. You know, it, it, it all culminates. It's like it, little bits add up to a, to a bigger picture. Still, he ain't the, he ain't the man for me. Bolton Wanderers are coming down. Listen, I think what we want is we want a little bit of excitement. We want a little bit of a change up. We want to we want to we want to we want a little bit of a change up. We want something a little bit different from from what's going on at Brentford at the moment. It's not been working. Listen, we're playing Bolton, and this is no respect. Listen, I speak to Eddie all the time, and they're all cool. But we're playing Bolton Wanderers and, you know, at the end of the day, listen, Josh Clark in the side should be able to, you know, but he should be able to, you know, to, to, to add something. You know what I'm saying? We're playing, you know, we're playing Bolton. We should have, you know, we should be able to bring different players in. We don't need to necessarily play our most beautiful technical side to beat Bolton Wanderers. We need to go out there with a bit of passion, a bit of bump, a bit of oomph and go out there and just, and just beat them at home. So I'm just saying, so what we need to do is that we just need to kind of just... You know, get out of Makocho if he's in there, which is all good. That's fine. But listen, if Dalsgaard isn't working down on the right-hand side of at the back, right, regardless of the headers and all this kind of stuff, if he's not working on the right-hand side of the back, we need to work out what we need to do different to bring something to the side to bring together because this is an absolutely crucial game. I think that we are going to be bold and I think we'll beat Bolton 2-0. That's a bit of a new. Laney, you didn't say what score you thought it was going to be. No, I, I said 2 0. Just to map the Allard Allard. Just, oh, you're just talking, talking between yourselves. So, listen. Anyway, like I said to you, listen, this is the Besotted Pride of West London um, podcast. Um, we're coming back from, we're, we're from the, we're from the Georgia Fourth. We're from the Georgia Fourth pub in Chiswick, and we've been absolutely fantastic. People are still dancing. In fact, they're outside dancing now. It's gone absolutely ballistic. Friday night, Lord of Wusu, Darren Powell. Besotted um, Pride of West London, um, Christmas bees up at Fuller's Brewery. It's going to be really, really good laugh. And to be quite honest with you, what I'm looking forward to it is to remove the gloom. The gloom that we have at the moment now. And I think probably eight or nine pints of beer at the Fuller's Brewery, followed by the after party that we've got, is going to be enough. And of course, Lloydie and Darren Powell's stories are going to be fantastic. Um, subscribe to us. Listen to us. Um, what else? Also, we're on Spotify now as well. That's amazing. Yeah, we're on. I see. You didn't even know we're on Spotify as well. Listen, we're all over the place. We're Brentford. We're coming up to Christmas. Everybody, have yourselves a marvelous Christmas. If I don't see you a Saturday down the boozer, have a very, 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 very Christmas. Like you're saying, and hopefully, three points will come. Santa Claus will deliver to us on Saturday. But as we say, we're coming down there in the boozer in the George Fourth, which has been absolutely teething tremendous as we say and very merry christmas to you all merry The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. 
Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.